two elementary boys were arguing in Sunday school one day, not at our church, at another church, right? And one of them said, I bet you don't know the Lord's Prayer. Oh, I bet I do. I bet you a dollar you don't know the Lord's Prayer. I bet you five dollars I do know the Lord's Prayer. Okay, then, let's hear it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. All right, here's your five dollars. I didn't know that you actually knew it, right? I think we all know the Lord's Prayer. We pray it just about every Sunday in worship. It's actually the disciples' prayer given by the Lord. We call it the Lord's Prayer. The church has called it that for many, many centuries. But it came from a very interesting request by the disciples, one that we should make at the outset of this Lenten journey. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Are we willing to say, Lord, teach us how to pray too? We need to ask the Lord how to pray because I know not everyone grew up in church learning how to pray. We don't think we have the right words or we have too many words and we just kind of muddle the air. Or we need somebody to tell us that we can pray with words or we can sit in silence and meditate over those words. Or maybe in the past two years, praying has been one of those spiritual disciplines that we have become out of the habit of doing and we've set it to the side. I don't want you to give up praying for Lent. I want you to take up this petition that says, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to communicate with you, how to listen to you. So Jesus did that. He, he used short, simple, and direct phrases to instruct his disciples how to pray. So in worship, uh, for this beginning today through Palm Sunday, we are going to study each line of the Lord's Prayer, this familiar prayer that we pray all the time. And at the outset, I want to share a few things about the prayer as we frame it, and then we're going to get into hallowed be thy name, what this first part means. The first thing that we need to recognize is that six verses, the first three, point our attention upward to God. They're about the interests of God. The, the latter three verses turn our attention inwardly and focus on our needs and interest. So we pray, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done, and, and our attention focuses upward. Then we focus on changing ourselves. Give us our daily bread, forgive us, lead us, and deliver us. Uh, the one thing this prayer does not contain is a single personal pronoun. There's no I, nor me, nor my in this prayer. We say, Our Father, forgive us. A poem says it this way, We cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. We cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. We cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and not include another. We cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and not include our brother, for others are included in each and every plea. And from the start to finish, it never once says me. This prayer is about us. It's about the family of faith, the body of believers. It's the prayer that Jesus lent us. And if you loan something, that means you return it. So we give it back to God and to our community and to ourselves as this way of focusing on God and focusing on people. If you'll recall, 
When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He just very simply said, focus on God, focus on people. Love God, love people. This prayer gets us there. It's about the community of faith. The other thing that the Lord's Prayer does this season as we step into it is it begins with a name. Hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be the name of God. Now, what is the name of God? What's so important about hallowing the name of God? It begins with the fatherly language, right? And one of the things to keep in mind is that can be problematic for a lot of people. I know that. It can be problematic to refer to God as, as Father, if you've been in a bad relationship with your father. But I think, more generally speaking, what this prayer does is it gives us a model for how we are to parenting and to where, how we are to aspire as parents. And for those who fall short, we forgive them. The prayer includes that too. But why does this talk about, or why does Jesus begin by talking about hallowing the name of God? And to which name is he referring? I believe he's referring to the divine name, the one that is so holy, so sacred, that in Orthodox traditions, one neither speaks it in full nor writes it in full. It, it harkens back to Exodus, right? When they ask, who sent me, Lord, who should I tell them? And the voice says, tell them Yahweh sent you. That's our word for it, Yahweh. But really, it's not really pronounced that way. Yahweh is a breathing exercise, Yahweh. In other words, tell them the very breath in your lungs has sent you and will continue to send you because the divine name does that. It sends and it heals and it convicts and it convinces and it orders and it holds us together. Hallowed be your name, our Father in heaven. It indicates that we are brothers and sisters, that we are children of God, we are part of God's family. And it's interesting to me that the actual Son of God, Jesus, is giving this prayer to the disciples saying, yeah, you all, y'all, y'all are in the family too. What this prayer does is it settles any debate about to whom it is we belong. When we pray this prayer every week, we know whose we are, that we belong to God, that Jesus is God's son by nature and substance, but we are children of God through adoption. What if we believed, in all earnestness, what if we believed the first words of this prayer? That we say, Our Father, and hallowed be that name, that we belong to God's family, the one who has numbered the stars, the one who has created life and continues to create. What, what does it mean to order our lives in such a way that we believe we are children of God and that everyone around us and everyone we encounter is a child of God too? What changes would you make to let the world know to whom it is you belong? What changes might we make to let the world know to whom it is we belong? Someone once wrote, too many people say our father on Sunday, but then they live like orphans throughout the week. Don't live as if you don't belong to a story bigger than yourself or a family that's bigger than yourself. If you know who created you, if you know who redeems you, if you know to whom you belong, then you possess a freedom that does not originate in this world. It cannot be contained because it's called grace. And grace is that which frees us to accept that we are a child of the King. When we accept that, 
who find it difficult to hate that which God has created because God the Father doesn't make mistakes. Knowing to whom you belong and living like a child of God will make it impossible to hate anyone because you cannot say you're in love with God and hate your brother and sister. When we begin seeing ourselves as sons and daughters of the king, we take off the robes of shame and guilt and know that we belong to a different story and that when we return back to God the Father, whose name we hallow, we begin putting on robes of assurance. You know the story of the prodigal son? When he comes back home, and the father's sitting there just waiting and waiting. And from a long way off, he sees his child, and he comes and he puts the best robe back on him. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. So hallowed be that name. That name which creates a family and then invites us and adopts us into that family. So I, I want to ask a question. What does it mean then to hallow something? It's not exactly a word that we use in the Starbucks line or at Target or somewhere around town. Hall hallowing things, right? You probably hear it and you think about Halloween or All Hallows Eve, that which is holy and set aside and marked. You think about hallowed ground, that soul that's so sacred because men and women gave their lives defending freedom, we call that hallowed ground. To be hallowed is to be set apart. It means to have a higher purpose. It can also mean to shrink back, and I love that definition of what it means to hallow something, to shrink back. That's a worship phrase. Like every time we come in here, I don't know if you do it, but every time I come, that small narthex, it, it sort of compresses us and reminds me of life, you know, sometimes between Sundays. And then we take just a few steps in and whew, we're blown away and we shrink at the mystery and the wonder and the awe of the God who has authored everything. One cannot hallow God's name and also hallow anything else in this world. Those are competing values, friends. Choose you this day whom and what you will hallow. That's a Lenten discipline. In the Luke 4 reading today, the devil tempts Jesus. I am reading through those verses throughout the, the Lenten season. I, maybe you want to join me. I want to read about the three times Jesus was tempted and what that means. You and I, gosh, he spent 40 days in the wilderness and was tempted three times with power and prestige and wealth. And, you know, sometimes I'm tempted in the first three minutes of the day. What about you? How do we respond? Jesus was tempted at one point to catch himself, send his angels, do something spectacular. And Jesus responded and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God, and only serve him. Jesus was hallowing the name of God by resisting the temptation to prioritize his life to the world. How is your life prioritized? Because the reality is the devil still tries to tempt Christ's brothers and sisters by saying things like, come on, guys, you can add more things to your calendar. God will protect you from burnout. Or it's okay to have one more drink or one more indulgence. You'll be protected. Or it's okay to hurl yourself into gluttony and lust and negativity and frivolous spending and gossip and moral decay. Surely the legion of 
angels in the church will come and rescue you. We are tempted that way. But Jesus' followers should respond by saying, I will resist the temptation to load up my calendar and to worship my calendar and my desires and my pride and my inhibitions and my money and anything else that compromises the hallowedness of God's name at work in my life. I will hallow God's name by the way that I live, by the way that I speak, by the way that I present myself on social media and to my friends, neighbors, and my enemies. I will hallow God's name that way. I will hold it highly. I will not consider it trite. I will not defame it. I will not cheapen it. I will live in fear, the good kind of fear, the reverence, the hallowedness, the mysterious nature of who God is. I will take off my shoes and hide my face when I am in the presence of God. So each week we say, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? How do we do it? Well, I look at it like I do prayer. And the way that I view prayer, as we're praying for these 40 days, is that if you want to pray for hunger, then you give somebody to eat, something somebody to eat, and that's how prayer works. When we pray for peace in the Ukraine, we begin practicing peace in our spheres of influence because that's how prayer works too. When we start saying, I wish, you know, I pray God that somebody would do something about education, then we volunteer our time at the school closest to our house because we have the talent and the ability to make a change. That's how prayer works too. Or when we get serious about mental health concerns, we begin with our, our own lives and say, I'm going to take care of me so I can help take care of others. That's how prayer works too. We get to be the answer to prayer because God uses the Holy Spirit to nudge and empower us to do that. So hallowing the name of God, it works the same way. When we pray, when we hallow the name of God, we are praying that the power of God would work in us and through us, through our words and our actions. What we are praying is to become those who honor God through our living, who honor God through our actions. That's how we keep God's name hallowed. To hallow God's name, you can do that right now. I don't know if you saw it or not, but there's a QR code right there on your insert. And as much as we pray for people to find safe housing and to defeat homelessness, you know how to answer that prayer? Sign up to be a part of the team. That hallows the name of God because when the church steps up to meet the suffering of others head on, it hallows the name of God. It's why Jesus came. I have a second example that uh, yesterday I, I received a call from a church member who will remain anonymous. And this person called to say, hey, I've been praying, been thinking about how do I help the people in Ukraine? How do I do something about the refugees and, and those who are on the ground? And, and then I saw the church's email this week about donating money through UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief. So this person was saying, I felt the Spirit. I felt God working in my life, so I want to issue a challenge. He read that our communion rails will be open for communion today 
and then every Sunday of Lent, we're, we'll have communion, and every dollar that's left right here will go to support the Ukrainian effort and to get supplies to people on the ground. So he said, I want to issue a challenge. I will match every dollar given up to $5,000. So when someone gives $5, it's actually $10. I believe, he said, we can make a difference. That's hallowing the name of God when we focus on the suffering of others. We gaze our attention upward. We say, our Father in heaven, we don't get to stay there long. We have to look at the needs of others. So today, you can hallow God's name in that way. As we prepare to come forward for Holy Communion, I want you to write a question down, and I want you to take it with you this week, and I want you to use it as, as your prayer. We come forward to Communion down the center aisle, theologically driven. We come with direct access to the very grace that we need to be made whole. And there's a lot of different parts and pieces to the bread, but it comes from one common loaf because we're in this thing together. We present our hands like this for the bread. We, we cannot receive bread with clenched fists. We cannot receive grace with clenched hearts. So we present ourselves as a sign that we want to be used. We want to hallow the name of God by allowing God's power to begin working in our lives and through our lives. So I want you to think about this question as you prepare your heart now for Holy Communion. What do other people know about God because of how I live my life? What do other people know about God because how I live my life? As we hallow the name of God, we point people toward mercy and grace and freedom and hope. And that can begin right here today. Amen.